0: Welcome to a special episode of the Bridgeway Podcast. Today, we begin the first part of a three-part conversation with lead pastor Sam Storms on the topic of prophecy. This is very intentional. It's leading up to a conference that we are hosting here in Oklahoma City at Bridgeway Church called Convergence Equip, which is focused this year on building a prophetic ministry in the local church. Last October, we hosted the first ever Convergence Conference, where we had guests from all around the world come together to learn how to practice both Word and Spirit. And then in the year in between, the bigger Convergence Conference, we are hosting Convergence Equip, where we focus in on a smaller area of ministry and try to equip the church to live it out. This year's Convergence Equip will be held on July 26th through the 28th here in Oklahoma City. To find out more, you can visit ConvergenceConference.org. Let's jump in. Well, like I said, today we are starting the first of three episodes talking with uh, Lead Pastor Sam Storms here about the gift of prophecy leading up to Convergence Equip. And we're excited to have you here, Sam, uh, to talk about the the first bit that we need to do is lay some groundwork asking, well, what is biblical prophecy? How do we define it? Mm-hmm. Um, what's the biblical basis for why we should pursue it? So that's kind of what we're gonna talk about today.
1: So you decided to select a non-controversial <laughs> oh, subject, yeah.
0: one on which there is no dispute or that's debate. Right. Yeah. That's what we like to do. We like to keep it very civil, uh, just you know, that. just very easy here on the on the Bridgeway Podcast. Yeah. <laughs> that's yeah. what we do. Uh, so let's let's start then with that foundational question then. Um, what is... what is biblical prophecy? Sure. Um, well, first of all, we're we're not talking primarily about uh, what we read about
1: in the book of Revelation or the book of Daniel. Okay. Although it is true that on occasion a person today might be granted a revelation of some future event and they could predict or foretell it, but that's not normally what we've come across in the New Testament when we talk about the spiritual gift of prophecy. And I think the best way of looking at it is just From 1 Corinthians 14 30. Uh, Paul is describing, as best we can tell, the closest thing to a corporate worship service as we have in the New Testament, chapter 14. We really don't have any others. And he's talking about um, individuals exercising their gifts. He says in verse 29 of chapter 14, let two or three prophets speak and let the others weigh what is said. And then this important verse, if a revelation is made to another sitting there, let the first be silent, for you can all prophesy one by one so that all may learn and all be encouraged. So we're told immediately that prophecy is speaking forth in human words some revelation that the Spirit of God has spontaneously brought to mind. So when we tie that in back with verse 3 of chapter 14, where Paul says that the one who prophesies speaks to people for their uh, upbuilding, encouragement, and consolation. So all prophecy is based on the spontaneity of a revelation, and it's then the communication of that to another individual to build them up, encourage them, and to
0: console them. Okay. So uh, how did how did Wayne Grudem put it? The divine or a human report? of a, Yeah,
1: a, a, a report in merely human words of something God brings to mind. Yeah. Which is very simple way of doing it, because I've kind of uh, stolen that from
0: Wayne a little <laughs> He doesn't mind. Adapted it to my Adapted own purposes. It. Yep. I love it. But that's, he would agree with that. Yeah. Okay. That's helpful. So you did you did bring up though Revelation and Daniel. Some we have Old Testament prophets. Uh, immediately, I kind of wanted to save that for the end, but now I feel like I have to kind of talk about it up front. Is what's the difference when we're talking about how the prophetic spiritual gift functions in the New Testament, specifically in First Corinthians 14 that we're looking at here. What's different about that than what many of us might be thinking of when we hear the word prophecy, like in the Old Testament?
1: Well, most people know in the Old Testament, uh, there was a pretty rigid test for the uh, legitimacy or authenticity of a prophet. If anybody speaks a word and it doesn't come to pass, uh, then they basically were to be stoned. (laughs) And uh, that was more predictive in nature. And it was very easy to test. Either it happens or it doesn't. Mm. Um, In the... People often ask me, as you just have, how does why do we not just simply carry over from the old covenant into the new covenant the same understanding mm. of how prophecy function? And there are several reasons. One of which I just mentioned, if people were listening closely, we're de- dealing with two different covenants. We're dealing with the old covenant, and we're now dealing with what we live under is the new covenant. Um and so there has been a major transformation in the way that people relate to God. So for example, um, in Acts chapter two, Peter is describing life under the new covenant. And he says, in the new covenant, in the present age, uh, young men and old men will dream dreams and have visions. And your daughters and your mothers and your old women, all, both genders, all ages, will prophesy. Well, that just simply didn't happen in the Old Testament. Under the old covenant, prophecy was restricted to a select group of individuals. Uh, but in the new covenant, the potential for every single Christian to prophesy is there. It's very real. Now that doesn't, don't want people to jump to the wrong conclusion. I'm not saying that therefore every Christian will prophesy, but Paul holds open the possibility that that could occur. And we'll get to that in a moment when we talk about 1 Corinthians 14. 1. So the first differentiation is the fact that that we have now in the New Covenant what I call the democratization of the Spirit. And that's a big fancy word that simply means the Spirit comes on and permanently indwells every born-again believer. In the Old Covenant, the Spirit could anoint somebody, a prophet, for example, a king, a priest, a military commander, somebody who's commissioned to build the tabernacle. The Spirit could come upon them, empower them, anoint them with a gift to carry out that function, And then they could sin, as Saul did, and the Spirit of God could lift and leave. Mm. You remember even David said in Psalm 51, don't take Take your your Holy Holy Spirit Spirit from me. me. I think he was referring to what happened to Saul that he witnessed personally. He said, Lord, I I committed adultery with Bathsheba. um, I'm repenting now, but please don't lift the anointing of the Spirit that you gave me to carry out my role as king. Mm. But in the New Covenant, it's altogether different. The Spirit of God now permanently comes upon all believers permanently indwells all believers and empowers them with gifts. So um, the first hint that we have a distinction between Old Covenant and New Covenant prophecy is what Peter says in quoting Joel in Acts chapter 2. Hmm. So all all believers, all genders, all ages, all ethnicities, so long as they believe in Jesus, have the potential to be recipients of divine revelation, dreams, visions, and to prophesy. Now, another um, way in which I would think it would, would be differentiated mm-hmm. is the way in which um, we are called upon to respond to prophetic words in the New Testament. Hmm. Uh, I read that in 1 Corinthians fourteen thirty just a moment ago, that everybody is responsible to weigh or evaluate. I see. I, I, I think a good word there would be discern. Um, 1 Thessalonians 5, verses 19 through 22, Paul also talks about Mm -hmm. judging words, Mm -hmm. and the idea is that you're sifting, you're discerning in any particular prophetic utterance. What is is there in that that maybe just be coming from that person? Maybe it's their interpretation uh, that may not be altogether accurate, and what is it in their word that we discern to be truly from God? You know, as we take the scriptures and we evaluate it, uh, we use common sense, we pray, you know, there's the community weighs in, uh, all sorts of standards by which we evaluate a prophetic word. And the response is, 1 Thessalonians 5, reject that which is bad, that which is incorrect, hold fast to that which is good. Paul doesn't say, well, we got to have a new covenant um, correspondence to stoning people, so... Mm -hmm. um, conclude from this that whoever gave you the word that wasn't altogether accurate, they're a false prophet, or they're to be excommunicated from hmm. the church, or they're to they're to be marginalized in the body of Christ. Nowhere do you find that in the New Testament. There's a, an entirely different standard of evaluation uh, in the New Covenant. Um, and then I think we see uh, the way that prophecy actually is exercised. So, for example, when you read the book of Acts, you've got Ananias um, giving a prophetic word to Paul in Acts 9. Um, You have um, prophets in Acts 13 giving a word that resulted in Paul and Barnabas being sent out on their missionary journeys. Um, Acts 21, you have Philip's four daughters who are called prophetesses. Um, You have the prophets at Tyre in Acts 21, 4 speaking a prophetic word to Paul through the Spirit which Paul chose not to obey, hmm. which is a profoundly significant thing. They said, through the Spirit, don't go to Jerusalem. Well, Paul said, well, hold on a minute. <laughs> the Spirit has already told me repeatedly, and he talks about this back in Acts 19 and 20, that I'm to go to Jerusalem and that I'm going to suffer affliction there. Right. So there's, a, there's obviously a mixture in New Testament prophetic utterances that wasn't true in the old. And the response to, to, of Paul to those prophets at Tyre wasn't, well, you all must not be saved. You're unregenerate. You're false prophets. Let's stone you. Let's kick you out of the church. No, he sat down with them, as we read later in Acts 21, together with Luke. They processed it. They prayed about it. Mm-hmm. And they came out disagreeing. It's amazing. And they said they couldn't convince Paul not to go. And so they said, may the Lord's will be done. Yeah. Um, so there's a difference in the way that they evaluate prophecy in the New Testament. There's a difference in the way prophecy functions. So, for example, let me continue. Um, I think, for example, of First uh, Timothy chapter one eighteen, where Paul tells Timothy to wage a good war based on the prophecies made about him, and First Timothy four fourteen, where he talks about uh, the the uh, spiritual gift that he received through prophecy when the elders laid hands on him. So what we see is that prophecy function more in an interpersonal way, words of encouragement, words of exhortation. Uh, you don't find the thus saith the Lord right. like you do in the Old Covenant. So there are these and, and, and just other ways, maybe we can go into this in more depth in a subsequent podcast that I believe differentiate um, Old Testament prophecy from New Testament prophecy. Um, again, when you think about the fact that Paul says in 1 Corinthians 14, 1, earnestly desire spiritual gifts, especially that you may prophesy. Mm-hmm. So here he is encouraging all God's people in all churches to seek after, pursue, and pray for the gift of prophecy. You won't find that in the old covenant. Yeah. Um, you know, it, was, it was an entirely different scenario there. So I think there are good reasons uh, to believe they're different. Now, that isn't to say that a New Testament individual can't predict the future. Okay. Agabus did this in was it Acts 11, mm. predicted that a famine would engulf uh, that part of the world, and right. it came about just as he said. But honestly, aside from Agabus, I'm trying to think. I don't know of another predictive prophecy um, that we have in the New Testament aside from you know, what we would consider to be prophecies about the end times in Revelation
0: and First uh, Thessalonians 4 and such. But those are canonical prophetic words. Right. Well, man, I have to say that's extremely helpful. It's, it's one of the best explanations I've heard in, in conversation with someone, just helping me understand the difference between those two. So thank you for that. I, I want to address at least one question that a listener might have, which is you talked about um, – in the new covenant, we have to discern, uh, between, um, like what is God saying in this revelation? Uh, let's, let's weigh it against scripture and everything like that. Obviously in the, in the old Testament, we just have prophecy. Uh, we don't, we don't go through it as I know some, some do nowadays and they go, well, what's good and what's bad in the old Testament? What, what's actually consistent with the spirit of God and what's not, um, as they would see it, uh, why don't we go back and discern Old Testament prophecy, but we do with New Testament prophecy?
1: Well, it's largely because of the commandments that we have in the Old Testament. You judged prophets; mm. prophets were judged to be true or false based on whether what they uttered came to pass. In the New Testament, and I think perhaps the best way to uh, to articulate this is just to quote the Apostle Paul. You can't ever go wrong there. <laughs> <laughs> he says in First Thessalonians five. Um, There we are. I'm trying to find the verse. All right. Verse uh, uh, 19, do not quench the spirit. Do not despise prophecies, Mm. plural, but test everything. And the antecedent of that is the prophecies, the utterances. He doesn't say test prophets. Right. He doesn't say uh, judge a prophet to be true or false. He says discern, sift prophetic utterances and whatever is good, hold fast to it. Whatever is not, reject it or abstain from it. So um, now, did they in the Old Testament sift and discern the words that were given? Yes. But they did it in order to determine whether or not that was a true prophet from God or a false prophet who had not been sent by God. Mm. We don't have, they don't have that in the new covenant. Every time false prophet is used in the New Testament, it refers to an unbeliever. Right. first to somebody who denies, for example, 1 John 4, who denies the incarnation of yeah. Christ. But simply because a born-again Christian trying to exercise his or her gift mm. might, quote-unquote, prophesy falsely, might in part. You remember Paul said in 1 Corinthians 13, we know in part and we prophesy in part. But that doesn't render them a false prophet. So... I think the difference is is the difference between judging the authenticity of a person who either has been or has not been sent from God as over against sifting the utterance itself to find that which is edifying and consoling and encouraging and that which isn't.
0: Yeah, I think that's helpful. I think that's very helpful to to say that in the Old Testament it was, we are testing whether or not this is a true or a false prophet. If this is a true prophet, what he says is trustworthy and it bears that out in history, because what he's saying is, is, is actually occurring. Is that what you're saying?
1: Yeah, and again, I, I I think Acts 21 is such an important passage. I've already mentioned in 21.4 where the uh, disciples at Tyre uh, were in telling Paul not to go to Jerusalem. right? And then later, Agabus gives a, a prophetic word to Paul about what's going to happen to him if he goes there. And I personally believe, and we don't have to get into this today, it's too complex, <laughs> maybe later— I personally believe that what happened was that both the disciples at Tyre and Agabus got a revelation from God. We don't know what, how it came to them. Maybe it was an impression on their hearts. Maybe they each had a vision of mm-hmm. Paul being surrounded by an angry mob. Uh, maybe they saw him uh, being carried away by Roman soldiers and thrown in prison, standing before judges and princes and, 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 and proconsuls and the like they saw that and they interpreted that to mean that Paul shouldn't go to Jerusalem. Mm-hmm. They said that's the meaning of that revelation. right? And then they applied it. They said, Paul, don't go. We urge you, we plead with you. We care about you, don't go. Now, in those three elements, revelation, interpretation, application, the revelation is infallible That's right, because it came from God. Yeah. The Spirit does not reveal false things. Mm. But there's no guarantee in the New Testament. Nowhere does it say that the Spirit of God will ensure that we will interpret it perfectly or yeah. accurately, or that we will then apply it to Christian lives in a in a wise and perfect way. Then I always use the analogy with teaching. I have the objective, infallible, inerrant word of God sitting right in front of me. Right. But I don't always interpret it accurately. Mm. I can pray for help. I can read commentaries. I can study. You and I can get and sit down and kick back ideas back and forth and question each other. But the fact of the matter is, I have to confess this, I've been in ministry for 44 years, and I have misinterpreted and misapplied to God's people God's written revelation multiple times. Mm. I, I, and if any preacher doesn't confess the same thing, he's lying. <laughs> because I've, I've my doctrine, my understanding of Scripture has developed and changed. Yeah. So my point is, um, there's no guarantee that my interpretations of God's written revelation are always going to be accurate. God mm-hmm. never guarantees that. Yeah. He never guarantees that my interpretation of a prophetic revelation is always going to be accurate. So we need to understand that difference. So God reveals, we interpret and apply. And sometimes we get the interpretation correct, correct? And the application wrong. Sometimes we get the interpretation and the application both correct. <laughs> Praise God when it happens. Yeah. But um, we have to remember that only the revelation is itself infallible.
0: So we we've kind of traced a bit of kind of a biblical history, biblical theology of prophecy a bit. We've kind of said, Okay, we've got this old test these old testament prophets and prophecies, true prophets and false prophets predicting things that come, which come to pass, and that bears veracity on what they've said and who they are. And then we have Pentecost and Acts two quotes Joel two, we have the democratization, as you said, of this gift of prophecy. Now it enters into this church age, and the spiritual gift of prophecy is coming into the church. Uh, so what does uh, the Bible, and I, I suppose specifically 1 Corinthians 14, have to say? Why should we as the church care about the gift of prophecy? Why should we practice it? What's the biblical grounding for New Testament prophecy?
1: Yeah, sure. <laughs> well, we, first, you, know, you mentioned 1 Corinthians 14, verse 1, earnestly desire spiritual gifts, especially right. that you may prophesy that is not just counsel, that's not just, hey, here's some advice, take it or leave it. Uh, Paul doesn't say, uh, why don't you get together and pray about whether prophecy should f- operate and function in your local church? It is a commandment. Yeah, uh, and, in, and it's not only in chapter 14, verse 1, he concludes the chapter, verse 39, so my brothers earnestly desire to prophesy and do not forbid speaking in tongues. So he... he caps off chapter 14 by reaffirming the exhortation so this is a responsibility for all believers now I, I say this and I've had people who kind of get their backs up and their hair stands on end when they hear me say it but I'm going to say it because it's in God's word if you're not earnestly desiring to prophesy you're sinning mm. and people say well how can you say that well I define sin as willful disobedience to a commandment of scripture yeah so are you willfully disobeying the command of first Corinthians 14, 1. if you are, you're in sin. Um, so I think that is why it is so essential. And then, of course, you know, the way Paul describes how prophecy functions. He mm-hmm. says it edifies, it builds up the church. Uh, verse 3, encourages, builds up, consoles. Um, so, again, the way, you know, I think um, a, a verse that many people have have don't even know exists in the Bible is 1 Timothy one eighteen. I mentioned it a moment ago. There, pulse, he's encouraging Timothy. He says, "Wage a good war, holding uh, uh, fast to a clean, godly conscience." And he says it. He says, "Do it by means of the prophecies that were given to you." Hmm. So, here is Timothy, who's probably being, you know, maybe criticized. You know, Paul said they put him down because he was young. Maybe some questioned his calling or his competency, and Paul says, "Look, the way you're going to endure and persevere." Is by drawing strength and encouragement from those prophetic words that were given to you earlier. Same thing in in chapter four, verse fourteen of First Timothy about um, the re- remembering, drawing from the prophecies that were given to you by which, by means of which a spiritual gift was imparted to you. Um, so prophecy is very encouraging. It's you know I remember the first time I got a prophetic word, I I was stunned. Hmm. And it's, it's amazing. I'm, I'm embarrassed to say I was stunned because a man looked at me and quoted to me what I'd been praying in my hotel room for the previous couple of nights. Yeah. In fact, he said that. He said, I'm going to tell you what you've been praying in your hotel room. <laughs> and then he quoted it. I mean, verbatim, not a paraphrase. He quoted it. And you say, do you know what that did to me? I mean, seriously, I it, here I was. I'd been in ministry, been a Christian for years. I knew God cared about me. I knew God knew who I was. I knew God heard prayer. Mm. But it wasn't until a prayer that I spoke to God was then communicated to another Christian who spoke it back to me that suddenly I was awakened. Wow, God really knows who I am. He hears my prayers. He cares enough about me to confirm it in this manner. So prophecy is incredibly encouraging, uh, building up consoling, instructing. You know, Paul says you can all prophesy one by one and all learn. Mm. So there's instruction that can come yeah. through it as well.
0: So that, that would be what you would consider the role of prophecy is primarily uh, edification, instruction, building up, consoling, things like that. Or does it serve another role?
1: Oh, well, yeah, I think it serves other roles. One others in chapter 14, Paul talks about, um, let's say an unbeliever, he says, wanders into your mm. meeting. And um, in fact, I've got the text open right here. I might as well read it. He says, um, he says, if all prophesy and an unbeliever outside or outsider enters, he is convicted by all. He's called to account by all. The secrets of his heart are disclosed. And so falling on his face, he will worship God and declare that God is really among you. So here prophecy actually has an evangelistic function. Hmm. It can disclose the secret sins of an individual who thought wow, I thought I was the only one who knew about that stuff in my life. And now suddenly these individuals uh, know and read my mail, as it were. Right. And it leads him to fall on his face and said, this is God. God is doing this. Um, so prophecy can function in a number of ways. It can instruct. Um, it, can, it can provide guidance. Mm-hmm. I mean, think about uh, Acts 13, 1 and 2. There In Antioch, it says there were prophets and teachers, and the Holy Spirit said to them, set aside Paul for the ministry to which I've called him. So the entire missionary outreach of the gospel beyond the borders of the Holy Land was a result of a prophetic word that came to Paul and Barnabas in Antioch. Um, So there are numerous ways in which prophecy can function. Um, You know, I'm thinking of... um, Gosh, what would be other examples just right off the top of my head? Well, okay, let's take this. People often wonder about negative words, you know, critical words. Mm. Um, they say, well, God would never reveal anything that is uh, negative about a person. Well, I don't think the Bible ever says that. The question is, how do you handle it? Mm. So, for example, perhaps an individual is immersed in unrepentant sin, very secret. And God discloses that to another, not in order to shame that person, right. not in order to use that as the grounds for bringing them under church discipline, but God reveals it because he loves that individual. He loves his child. And so you go to them and say, hey, I, I, I may be wrong, help me, but I just had this strong sense from the Lord that you may be struggling with, and then whatever it is. Yeah. Now, they may not immediately respond positively. They may get self-defensive but oftentimes god can use that as a way of restoring and turning a person back
0: from their um, ungodly lifestyle. Hmm. Yeah, so the role the the gifts of prophecy serves many roles and i mean even even the ones that we've articulated here probably don't even cover all of it.
1: Yeah, and let, let me just mention one other thing just i'm i'm just thinking kind of this introductory podcast we're doing. I hear often, I'm hearing it more and more. People who reject the gift of prophecy today. Mm-hmm do so because they have mistakenly identified it with preaching. I mean, you'll hear people hmm. say, prophecy, oh, prophecy, that's just preaching the word.
0: Hmm.
1: And, I, and I just shake my head and I say, well, wait a minute. Um, if that's the case, then what do you do about Joel or uh, Acts chapter 2, where Peter says that people receive dreams and visions and all, young and old, male and female, will prophesy.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: That doesn't sound like preaching the word as we understand it. I just mentioned Acts 13, where it says that there were prophets and teachers mm-hmm. in Antioch. So there, Luke is differentiating between the two. Uh, Acts 21, Philip's four daughters. Do we believe that they were preachers? Uh, we don't have any evidence of that in the New right. Testament. Um, 1 Corinthians fourteen twenty six, Paul is talking about what you do when you come into a corporate meeting. And he says, when you come, each one has a hymn, a teaching, a revelation, a tongue, or an interpretation. Mm -hmm. A teaching is different from a revelation. Right? Teaching is an exposition of a text. A revelation is the basis on which a prophecy is given. Mm. Um, Then you have um, 1 Corinthians 14.30. A revelation comes to one and he prophesies. 1 Corinthians 14.30 is, is unmistakable. All prophecy is based on a revelation from God. Hmm. Teaching and preaching is based on a text that you explain and unfold and, and apply to people. Ephesians 4.11, there Paul differentiates between prophets and pastor-teachers. Hmm. Uh, and again, I think, for example, of uh, 1 Timothy 1.18. When Paul talks about the prophecies made about Timothy and hmm. he's to draw from them, he's not saying go back and listen to all the sermons you ever heard. <laughs> He's talking about prophetic words of encouragement and instruction right. that were given to him. So, preaching absolutely
0: critically important, but preaching is not prophecy. We need to really keep that distinction in mind. Gotcha, that's helpful. What What would you say to someone who is like, okay, Sam? Like, I we we believe in the same Bible. I, I've got I I believe that it's it's inspired, it's infallible. I want to follow what it tells me to do. But I just don't know if the Bible is really commanding me to prophesy. I know it says, eagerly desire the spiritual gifts, especially my prophesy. But, you know, I, I feel like that was for one one time, and, and that time's moved on. And I don't want to—we don't have time to get into a full sure. <laughs> conversation about cessationism versus continuation. But let's—what would you say to them? What would be at least a word of encouragement? Like, hey, like, we hear you. We know you're there. Here's step one, maybe. Give me a text. Give me a text. <laughs> Get all I want is a text. <laughs> one text that one says it's over. One <laughs> little
1: text. All it'll take is one text and I'll shut up. No, no. I'm serious. I'm not trying to be funny. No, yeah. Um, if people want to know why should I care, why should I live in expectation that this can happen, um, because the New Testament, first of all, simply does not suggest that there's any other way to respond to these texts. It, it doesn't tell us. Uh, you know, I I argue, and this strikes a lot. Maybe we can get into this in a subsequent podcast. I tell people, if you believe in the sufficiency of Scripture, you have to believe in prophecy. Mm, you so? have to believe in revelatory gifts, because what is the sufficiency of Scripture? It's our belief that the Bible tells us everything that we should do, practice, and believe in order to live a godly life, and that we trust it to tell us what to avoid or that it would warn us about things that might undermine mm. our Christian lives. Well, guess what? The, the only thing the New Testament says about prophecy is positive. Pursue it. Pray for it. Don't forbid it. And it gives examples of how prophecy functions. Yeah. And nowhere, not in a single solitary text, does it ever say, oh, watch out about prophecy. Uh, and just remember, it's only going to be around until the last apostle dies right. or when the canon of scripture finally c- closes. You don't, f- If you believe the Bible is sufficient, then you're going to believe that it would have told you if mm. prophecy is somehow dangerous or not to be pursued or that we shouldn't believe it would operate today in the way it did in the first century. So I would simply say to that person, If you really believe in the sufficiency of Scripture, you have to believe in the ongoing validity of revelatory gifts, because that's where we're told about them, in the Word of God.
0: Well, well, there you go. Um, And then I guess the last thing I'd want to hear from you, uh, again, I'm asking you to enter into a huge question uh, with uh, just, I guess, preliminary remarks like you just did. So uh, we're going to be talking, since we just spent 30 minutes talking about the gift of prophecy. We're going to continue to talk about it for two weeks. I'd like to conclude this episode with just you explaining to us a little bit of what is a spiritual gift. Uh, I think that just category is so ambiguous and big, and it's just, it's hard to grab hold of. So like, how should we understand spiritual gifts? What is it uh, since since biblical prophecy is a subset of it?
1: Well, I, I go back to what I think is the closest thing that Paul gives us to a definition. Okay. And that's 1 Corinthians 12, 7. There he says, to each is given, now here's the key phrase, the manifestation of the Spirit for mm. the common good. And then he, and you say, what does that mean, Paul? Well, then he tells us, he starts in verse 8. To one is given through the Spirit utterance of wisdom, to another knowledge, to another uh, faith, to another gifts of healings, to another working of miracles, so on and so forth. A spiritual gift is a manifestation, a disclosure, a coming to visual and audible, concrete, tangible reality, a work of the Spirit of God through a human being. Mm. So again, uh, in 1 Corinthians 14, Paul says to the Corinthians, So with yourselves, since you are eager for manifestations of the Spirit, strive to excel in building up the church. So I would define a spiritual gift as A manifestation or coming to what I call visual and audible disclosure, a work of the Spirit in and through a particular individual Christian. Not everybody has the same manifestation, not everybody has the same ministry, the same gift, but whatever we do in terms of ministry to one another, to build each other up in the body of Christ is a manifestation of the Spirit, the Spirit showing himself to be real and powerful in and through very weak and sinful Christian men and women.
0: There you go. Manifestation. I like that. What What would you say, too, about the idea of... Um, explain the word gift to us a little bit, too, because doesn't it... Hmm. Do, what Does it share something sure. in common with grace? Or, oh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
1: yeah. Um, well, gift in Greek is charisma. Right. Uh, so anybody out there who's named... Uh, um, Carissa, your name is related to the Greek word for gift or grace. Yeah, um, spiritual gifts are expressions of divine grace. We don't merit them. We mm-hmm. don't earn them. We can't force the Spirit's hand. It mm-hmm. says in 1 Corinthians 12, 11, that the Spirit of God distributes these gifts as He wills. So they are blessings of God that are unrelated to the merit or the value or the efforts of any individual. In his wisdom, the Spirit of God distributes them graciously, freely, uh, without regard to to how much money we put in the offering last week or how many times we fast or, or anything of that sort. So, yes, all spiritual gifts are manifestations of the Spirit that are free and are based solely upon God's sovereign mercy.
0: That's really helpful. Well, I want to ask more questions like, okay, so how do we eagerly desire? And you mentioned these manifestations for the common good in chapter 12 and that we would pursue prophecy to excel in building up the church in chapter 14. All these are turning to more practical questions and how this works out. And that's what we're going to turn to in the next episode of the podcast. We're going to talk about what does it look like to practice the prophetic in the local church, which is the whole theme of Convergence Equipped this year in July. Absolutely. uh, We're
1: going to talk at that about you know, how does this actually function in the local church? How do we how do we avoid getting goofy yeah. with the gift of prophecy? And that that might be a good question. Yeah, that is a
0: good question. Well, I'm really looking forward to that conversation. I'm looking forward to the conference. Again, if you want to learn more about the Convergence Equip Conference, we encourage you to go to www.convergenceconference.org to learn everything about registration and signing up. Uh we don't have a ton of slots left, do we? They better hurry. Yeah. Well, that's yeah. just my
1: that's my prophetic word to you. Hurry. Thus <laughs> saith the Lord. Hurry. There we go.
0: Well, uh Sam, thank you so much. Today was really, really helpful for me. Uh Uh, I look forward to uh, the next time we get to talk about this uh, next week. You bet. Thank you for listening to the Bridgeway Podcast, where you will find a new conversation every Thursday. For more information about Bridgeway Church, we invite you to visit bridgewaychurch.com or you can follow us on Twitter and Instagram at BridgewayOKC or on Facebook at facebook.com slash bridgewaychurchOKC. If you have any questions that you would like us to address on the podcast, feel free to email us at podcast at And if you enjoy the podcast, please consider leaving us a review on the podcast app as it helps other people like you find our program. So on behalf of all the pastors and staff here at Bridgeway Church, I'm David Bowden saying thanks for listening and we will see you next week.